Well, good evening. Uh, church, I'm, I'm honored to be here with you. If this is your first time with us, uh, my name's Tyler. I'm the lead pastor here of Outfitter Church, and I'm honored that you came. Whether you came to explore who Jesus is and, and whether you want to follow him or not, or whether you came here, you believe in him, and you came here to exalt Christ with us, I'm glad you're here with us. Um, We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, so the book of Mark, the fourth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the second, sorry, I don't know why I said the fourth, the second book in the New Testament, and we've been walking through the book of Mark, and what we have, can everyone hear me? Okay? Maybe one notch louder? I'm the, I'm the first knob, the big gray knob on channel number one. Move it up one little hash mark, tests. Good? A little better? Good enough? Okay. Um, so, thank you, A.V. Um, we've been going through the book of Mark, and, and, and in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus, God himself, came in the flesh to bring the good news. And then in chapters 1, in the first part, or chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, we saw that that good news comes with power. The power to change things. To make the believable or the unbelievable believable. To make the unworthy worthy. So we looked at that. And now what we're going to see is that that, that good news, it, it came with Christ. It has power. And now we're going to ask the question, why does nobody get it? Why does nobody get it? And, and all week long, there was a, a movie scene in my head where it's like this super suspenseful moment of a scary movie. And, and he looks at the people and they ignore what he says and he goes, you still don't get it. And I can't remember what movie it is or what anything else is going on in that scene. And I've prayed for the Lord to bring it to my memory. But clearly it was not meant for me to know the whole thing. So I only remembered that little part. But he says, you still don't get it. And that's what I've been thinking about the whole week as I prepared to preach this text is, is when will we get it and who gets it? And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, we're going to be doing verses 7 through 35. And, and as we've said that we're kind of in a, a much larger passage than what we, we usually preach. And so I'm going to go section by section through here, okay? Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want you to direct your attention to the inside seats. Now, some of you are sitting in the inside seat and you move the Bibles. That's totally fine. But we have restocked our Bibles, and I am super pumped about it. So these bad boys, it is an honor. Whether it's, sometimes we have outside donors pay for these Bibles. Sometimes we're able to have the money ourselves. So this one came from Luther and Nina Peterson, some dear friends of our church that live in Arkansas. And they sent us a bunch of money, and we could buy like 50 brand new pew Bibles. And we're really, really excited about that. Um, if you have received your first Bible from Outfitter Church, would you just raise your hand? That would, one, two, three. And there's, there's been many throughout the last year that have come in and, and God's kind of moved them out of our lives or they've moved out of Casper. Um, and so that's amazing. And, and so it, it just excites me. Clearly we had to buy more, so I know it was more than just three. But, um, but it's, it's so exciting to be able to give people a Bible or sometimes even their first Bible. That's absolutely amazing. 
If you didn't notice, one of the people that raised their hands is the guy that leads our prayer regularly now at the end of services. It's pretty amazing what God does through his word and, and how it changes our lives. Ah, amen. Okay, so if you need a Bible, those restocked Bibles, I got a little sidetracked. Those are for you. That's our gift. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to know we're not up here preaching our opinion. We're preaching God's word. And we want you to keep us in check with that. And so take one of those Bibles as our gift to you. Now let me pray, and then let's dig into God's Word. God, we love you, and we come before you, and we ask you, Lord, to help us, your bride, your people, your children, to understand your Word tonight. Help me to preach it, and God, for the person or the people that are in here tonight that have never submitted to your authority and are following you in obedience, I pray, God, you would open their eyes tonight that through your word you would convict them of their sin and help them to come to the Savior. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Let's read 7 through 12. It says, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. This is kind of just a... We're preaching through a narrative. Okay, he's narrating the life and ministry of Jesus. Not every verse has a huge point. So this point is kind of just setting us back up, and, and this setting up passage is really making us have the question, when will they get it? I think my point, the way I word it is, does anyone get it? Does anyone get it? Jesus starts out and he comes and he says, here's the, the good news, I proclaim a new kingdom. And then he healed somebody, and everyone and their dog rushed to Jesus, and they're like, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And he's like, man, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to teach you how to be forgiven of your sins. I mean, yeah, I'll heal you as well, but you need to seek eternal healing, not just temporary. And so regularly what we've been seeing, right, church, is that crowds are flocking around him, and then he tries to, like, dip out of there so he can go to the next city and teach them the good news. And then they see him come again, and so it's like gets to teach in private, and people hear it, and then the crowds ruin everything. And then they, he teaches, he slips away, teaches, so it's just this repetitive cycle, and here we are in chapter 3, we start again. Here they are. And here's, here's why, it, when I first read through the book of Mark, I'm learning so much as we go through this time. I always thought these crowds were a good thing. But as you watch what the author Mark is saying, inspired by God, you see that he's not praising them. Let me show you. The huge crowds followed Jesus. We think that's awesome. He says, oh, hey guys, get a boat ready for me because I'm going to have to get in the sea. 
and, and preach from the boat. Why is that? Because these crowds cared so little about Jesus and who he was and what he was really trying to do that they almost crushed him because all they wanted was to get close enough to get healed from him and then go on about their merry day. And so one, Jesus, this is not a good crowd. They care so little about him as a person that they were willing to trample him just to get what they wanted. The second way we can know that the crowd's not good and why we ask the question, does anyone get it? Does anyone get it? The demons, it says unclean spirits, the demons, Satan's minions themselves, when they saw Jesus, they said, you are the son of God. Not even the crowds did that. So if you were wondering, church, anytime a demon is more godly than you, you're not doing well. Okay, so as, as we pay attention to the text, I had to learn this. I thought the crowds were a good thing, but they just don't get it. They're almost crushing him, causing his safety to come into question. And the demons are more godly than them by confessing at least, they weren't following him, but they at least knew that he was the son of God. And so they're willing to crush the man, Jesus Christ, and the demons are more godly than they. The crowds are not good, which makes us beg the question, when will people get it? Who even gets it? And at first I thought the crowds were kind of stupid. Um, that may not be a nice word for some of the young ones in here. Silly. And I, I kind of thought that, like, why are, why are they so thick-headed? And then it reminded me, in high school and college, I listened to a band called Flyleaf. Has anyone ever heard of Flyleaf? Okay, I, I know, I know uh, Brother Paul Burris, I'm making eye contact with him. He, we, you and me have talked about this band, I believe. Um, but the, the lady's name, the lead singer, her, it's a different lady now, but her name was Lacey um, Sturm, I believe. I may or may not have had a crush on her, okay? She's nowhere near as hot as my wife, and I'm married now. I'm just saying, back then, <laughs> new Christian, she sang about Jesus. I thought she was cool, okay? So she's the lead singer of this band called Flyleaf, and they were awesome. I mean, crazy good lyrics, somewhat kind of edgy rock. It was super cool. Go look them up, Flyleaf, okay? Um, All Around Me, great song. So I, I, I grew up listening to them. Whenever I was in high school, we went to a concert, and Lacey was there, and, like, everyone was there, and we're singing about Jesus. It was awesome awesome moment, okay? Then later on in college, we're doing some ministry trip. I can't remember. And, and we were at a hotel, and there was an old van unloading suitcases with a, a man probably in his 50s or 60s. And I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? You know, I'm talking to everybody. So I was just chatting this, that, and the other. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, we're here to do a, a, a concert. And I'm like, ah, it's awesome. What kind of concert? And I'm just, and I'm just like asking all these questions. And he's like, well, my daughter is Lacey, the lead singer for Flyleaf. And I'm like, oh, do you need any help unloading these suitcases? Because he's like, she's upstairs in the hotel room. And I'm like, yep, need any help unloading these? And he's like, sure, that'd be great. Because <laughs> like, all the kids, they have grandkids, they all went upstairs and left dad and mom to unload all the suitcases, right? And so I immediately grabbed some, like, hey, hey, dude, come here, help them. This, this is Flyleaf. Come on. So we, like, grab all these and we just, boom, 
walk into the hotel room like, hey guys, my name's Tyler, I love what you do. And I'm like thinking that there's going to be like this, oh, moment. I'm going to meet Lacey and then Flyleaf and they're going to love me and they're going to think I'm awesome just like I think they're awesome. I could not have been told get out of my hotel room faster. They didn't say it with their words but their eyes were like dude what are you doing here? And she's got like a young baby and she looks like she's like half dead sleepy and she's like hi. And like all of them like these limp un engaged handshakes and I was like oh this is awkward (laughs) and then I realized these are real people they're not just celebrities they're not just stage performers she has a child and a husband and she's exhausted and I just kicked my way into their hotel room because I wanted to meet the celebrity I didn't care about them I didn't care about their travel schedule I didn't care that she's exhausted as a new mom and then I kind of, like, as I was preparing this message, that's, the Lord brought that to my memory that, oh, yeah, that, it's easy to do that. It's easy to not get it. And that's what this crowd was doing. They saw Jesus as the celebrity that could make people's legs that don't work start working. People's eyes that are blind see. And so they forgot that he actually was there for a purpose and he had something to say and they just wanted what they could get from him. And so it begs the question, does anyone get it? Join me in the next passage and we'll see someone does get it. Or people do get it. So in verses 13 through 19, read with me. Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 men whom he also named apostles to be with him. To send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter. To James the son of Zebedee. And to his brother John he gave the name Boanerges. That is sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. And so the first passage kind of sets us up with the question of, does anyone get it? And this passage helps us to see that those who Jesus calls and sends out get it. Those who are with Jesus, this is the first time in, in three chapters. Jesus began his ministry many days, many weeks prior to this moment. And this is the first time that the author Mark, inspired by God, lets us know there is someone who gets it. And it's those who he has called. And church, I know that you you can amen to that because there was a time in your life, there was a time in my life where I didn't get it. I was raised in church. I was raised to believe in God. I prayed when things went bad, but I didn't get it. I prayed if I needed something. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But then there was one day when I was 16 or almost 16 years old that I got it. And my life has never been the same. Jesus called me to him and then he sent me out to do his ministry. And that's, that doesn't mean just pastoral man. Anyone who's been called to follow Christ has been commissioned to go out. Let me explain why. 
So Jesus calls these people up on the mountain alongside the sea, and he brings 12 people. There is a huge crowd, so many that he had to get a boat to get away from them so they didn't crush him. So there's a lot of people, but it says that he called those he wanted out of the crowd. There was a ton that didn't get it, but there were some that did. And he called those 12 up on the mountain with him, and he commissioned them out to preach and to have authority over Satan, demons. Now, this is awesome. As I was studying and researching this passage, one thing I learned, there was another person who also got called up on the mountain by God and was commissioned to lead the 12 tribes of Israel. His name was Moses. Moses was the leader of the nation of Israel. They were enslaved to Egypt, and Moses was called by God to lead them out of Egypt. And then before they went into the promised land, God called him onto the mountain and said, Moses, you're going to lead them into across the Jordan and into the promised land. Now, Moses ends up disqualifying himself, which helps us to see that Jesus is better than Moses, but, but he was still nonetheless called to send the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land, God's promises for their new life. Now we see Jesus, God himself, calling the 12 disciples, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning all the people of God. And he says, I'm now sending you out. Sorry. Thanks, Lord, for emphasizing that point for me. I'm now sending you out to lead people into the promised land, this good news kingdom that I'm establishing by my own blood and death and resurrection. And so I just think that's absolutely amazing because we've already seen ties back to the old nation of Israel where we talked about that um, Joshua led their people out of the wilderness and in, across the Jordan into the promised land as well. So Joshua picked up the mantle from Moses, if you see that connection there. But we've already seen how Jesus' Hebrew name would be Yeshua, Joshua. He's a better Joshua. He's leading God's people out of the wilderness into following him to his new kingdom. And so we're seeing the historical significance that the Jewish audience that Jesus was ministering to right then and the Jewish audience that Mark is writing to would have picked up on this, that something very significant is happening. God himself has commissioned the disciples to carry on the new good news of the kingdom of God. We talked about in chapter 1 that the king has come, the king has been proven faithful, and the king was calling the disciples to follow him. Why? Because John the Baptist did a ministry, got arrested, his ministry ended, Jesus began. Jesus is going to get arrested, die and resurrect and leave. Or the disciples' ministry would begin. Well, disciples aren't eternal. They're not immortal. And so, or they're not immortal. They will live eternity with Jesus, but they, they're not immortal. They're going to die. So their job was to preach the gospel, have authority over Satan, and pass the torch. 
And so it is that in Bar Nun, Wyoming, in 2021, the torch has been passed down to us. And church, what are we going to do? And what's amazing is that the same summoning that Jesus gives to them, he gave to us when he called us to repent of our sins and follow him. We were summoned by God Almighty and then sent out in the authority of God to teach the gospel, to share it with our words, and to have authority over the darkness and evil in this world. How absolutely amazing for that. How absolutely amazing is that for us to know that if we have been called by God, we have been given authority to share the good news of the kingdom and to have power over evil. Now, I, I've never cast out a demon in my life, but I know that through the power of the gospel, I've seen evil overcome in the lives of people around me. And that's only by the grace of God that he's given to his children to share the gospel. It's amazing. So the first passage made us think, does anyone get it? The second passage helps us to see that those who are called and sent out by Jesus get it. Now let's look. We've got a, a long passage um, that we're going to have to work through, okay? So let's work through this one. Verse 20. Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, which is the prince of demons. And he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, and cannot, he cannot stand, but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, People will be forgiven of all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has unclean spirits. Okay, so what we're looking at here, and as I study this passage, what, what I learned is that there's this insider-outsider sandwich. Okay? So this, the passage before, the 12 disciples being called and sent out, they get it. Okay? They get it. That's the bun. And then now we've got two people, the meat. They don't get it. It's his family, and it's the scribes. Okay, then we're going to, the last passage we look at, they get it as well. Okay, so there's a get it sandwich. Okay, so the disciples get it, his family does it, and the scribes don't. But then uh, the end, I'm not going to give away my last point, but it's a get it sandwich. Okay, so here's what's crazy, what's happening here. Let me make this side note, then we'll go to the main meat of what's happening. I love what Jesus said when he says, no one, no one can plunder a strong man's house until they what? Until they bind him up. I think of the term arrested. Now there's a song. There's a song that one day we'll probably end up singing it here because it's an amazing song. 
It's called Death Was Arrested. It says, that's when death was arrested and my life began. And he's talking about what Jesus does in our lives. When Christ rose from the day, rose from the grave, he arrested death. And that's when our life began. And so what, I, what I'm thinking about is, is I know that church for many of us, that, or for all of us that have turned from our sins and followed Jesus, we would say that there was a time when the strong man, Satan, had us under his grip. He had us in his control. Oh, but when Jesus came in, he put that sucker in a chokehold and he set me free from the grip of death. And if you're in here tonight and you're struggling with sin, you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you. You are held in the grips of the strongest spiritual enemy on earth. The only one that can set you free. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's not giving your money. It's giving your life to Jesus and following him. And when you do that, he breaks the grip of the enemy on your life and he sets you free. Yeah, you may still struggle with sin here and there, and you may have to learn how to fight it and make war against it. We all will, but we're not held by the chains of sin any longer. We're out of the grave, and we're able to be free. If you're here tonight, and the strong man Satan has you held in his grips, I encourage you to acknowledge the authority of Christ and follow him. He's the only one who has the power to set you free. Now, that tangent aside, let's look at what's happening. Jesus calls his disciples, and they get it. He's fixing to send them out. I've been asking you, church, the whole time, where are the disciples in each of these texts? Up until this point, they're always in the background. Now, they're center stage. They're getting their graduation ceremony. Okay, your first level of training's done. Now it's time to start going out and preaching. And we're fixing to see them start doing that. So they get it. But then he goes back into town, goes into a house. There's so many people he can't even eat. And his family goes, all right, we've had enough. He's lost his mind. That's awesome, the word that says they summoned him. Or it says they set out to restrain him, grab him with authority, and take him out. Even his family didn't recognize his authority. I mentioned earlier, if, if a demon's more godly than you, that's not a good thing. If you're ever telling the Lord, God Almighty of the earth, that he's, of the universe, that he's lost his mind, you might be wrong. <laughs> Jesus' own blood relatives didn't get it. He's lost his mind. They're going to restrain him. You can't restrain the one who has all power in the world. He's the one that can call you. He's the one that can restrain you. But no one can restrain him. And then the scribes, he's possessed by a demon. So what we see in this third passage is that family and religious connections don't make you get it. If you were to survey all religions in the world, and if you were to survey the predominant religions in Wyoming, they may call themselves Christians, 
But you look at their, look at the different denominations, the different religions, even in our own state. Every religion besides Christianity will tell you if you're born into a family of that religion and you do the basic tenets of that religion, you will be good with the God of that religion. I don't care. You, you bring me any religion in the world and I will point you to a works-based salvation where your salvation and your eternal security is based on your work. I don't want that. And I don't care how hard of a worker you are, you can't work yourself into perfection in God's eyes. The gospel, though, the gospel, we'll, get, we'll clarify this more on our next point, but the gospel says all of you have fallen short. You can't get into God's grace and God's presence by your family. One time, we let some, some folks watch our kids. This is when we, we were uh, new parents, and uh, we just moved to Wyoming. It was a sore spot for my parents. And we let this elderly, or not elderly, older couple watch our kids. Well, they turned to themselves, grandma and grandpa, such and such. I'm not going to say their names, lest it trigger PTSD in my mother who's watching the live stream. <laughs> but they said, whoa, hey, come over to grandma and grandpa, such and such's. And they called themselves grandma and grandpa. And so then my mom said, how are you doing? I was like, oh, we dropped the kids off at grandma so-and-so's house. I was so swiftly rebuked. You will never grandma or grandpa ever again besides me your father and your in-laws do you understand me yes ma'am <laughs> duly noted I don't even like those people they took them I don't know exactly the culture of ancient Jerusalem when Jesus was around but his mother is outside saying you've lost your mind get out here and he goes you ain't even my mom the next passage says that. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Could you imagine? And only a mother would correct Jesus, right? So I'm sorry, moms. Yikes. That was not in my notes. Let me back that up. Um, but his family comes. You've lost your mind. And then the scribes come, and they say, he's possessed by a demon. This is the Son of God who has come to bring good news that He's going to die for them and pay for their sins. And they say He's lost His mind and He's possessed by a demon. I didn't ask His permission, so I hope He's okay with this, but Shannon Eli, uh, who serves as one of our prospective elders, he was telling me that he's had more than one person now since he's been growing into this leadership role in the church saying, you've gotten too involved. You're too committed to your church. You care too much. Nobody in here, I promise you, we would have kicked them out. But, um, totally kidding. But they're like, you've gotten too involved in the church. And his answer was, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you can't ever be too committed to the people of God. And we say amen to that. I remember when we told church partners or people um, that, that <laughs> some of them were watching, sorry, um, that when we were going to start a church and we were going to have it on Wednesday nights, they're like, well, you're going to have a Sunday morning service too, aren't you? And I was like, no. <laughs> if you've been through our city, there's a 
$150,000 of toys in everyone's driveway. No one's here on Sunday. We're not going to fish when there's no fish in the pond, brother. We don't have anybody. We're going to be on Wednesday night when people haven't left to go hunting yet, and they're not gone for their weekend camping trips. That's why we're on Wednesday nights. We want to reach lost people. They're like, well, you're going to do a Sunday morning service too, right? And I'm like, well, are you going to start preaching a Wednesday night service? Well, no. Well, then don't ask me to do double the work. <laughs> Why do I have to preach on Sunday? Is God's resurrection not powerful on Wednesday nights? We had another leader, even in Wyoming, tell us, your church, as long as you're on Wednesday nights, you'll never grow more than a small group. We baptized a dadgum small group in August, and we're fixing to baptize another small group in, in February. Amen. So don't tell God what he can and cannot do, dadgummit. God wants to save people in this city, and we're just getting to watch him do it. Amen. And so it cracks me up when, when sometimes, like, your family is like, well, you need to slow down. And then church leaders are like, well, that can't bless God. Hey, God's working. Why are you trying to slow it down? Let's just follow Jesus and watch him change people's lives. But it just blew me away that Jesus has literally come to deliver the good news that he himself will pay for the sins of the world and his own family. Said, you've lost your mind. And the religious leaders of the town said, you're possessed by a demon. Holy smokes, they don't get it. And sadly, even in the Christian world, we sometimes believe that if our mom and dads were Christians or our friends were Christians and we grew up in church or we start going to church, that makes us right with God. Look, I want every single one of you at this church gathering every single week. But this church gathering doesn't make you a Christian. What does make you a Christian? Well, let's start with what did these people miss? They missed Jesus' authority. Jesus is the one who calls and sends, yet his family thought they could call him out of the house. Nope. And the scribes thought they could say he's possessed by a demon. Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, people will be forgiven of all sins, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. This is the only sin that is unforgivable. People say, well, well I've had an abortion, or I've, I've cheated on my wife, or I've, I've uh, we don't usually, I've never gotten this, I've murdered somebody, um, I, I've thrown my life away, I'm addicted to drugs, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, uh, God can't, I've heard it multiple times, you don't want me to walk into that church, it'll burn down. I'm like, brother, we got a bar here. It ain't going to burn down. And so people are always like, I, I'm so bad, God can't forgive me. That's such baloney. The only thing God won't forgive is denying him. Here's what's happening. In chapter 1, we saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus and empowered his ministry. It is through the Holy Spirit's power, implicitly, that, that Jesus is healing the blind, healing the paralyzed, saving demon-possessed people. It's, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's doing these things, and his family says, you've lost your mind, and the religious leaders have said, you're possessed by a demon. And so what they've done is they've taken the Holy Spirit spirit and they've denied it. They've denied the authority Jesus Christ, God himself has to act on behalf of heaven. 
When you deny the authority of God, you cannot be saved until you repent and acknowledge the authority of God. That's what he's getting at. He really blasts his parents, but he's like nailing to the coffin the religious leaders that said he's, that what he's doing is through the power of Satan. So they're literally saying that God is a liar and that God is satanic. And so he says, as long as you think without recognizing my authority to do my will, you cannot be my disciple. As long as you don't acknowledge my authority as God, you don't get it. So who does get it? What makes us saved? Verse 31. His mother and his brothers came... And standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Imagine, picture the scene. Remember I told you about my mom? His mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. And he says, Who are my mother, my brother? Who, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So who gets it? Those who acknowledge and obey Christ. Let's figure out how I word it. Throw that point. Only those who acknowledge and obey Christ will get it. So we start out in passage one, crowds surrounding, they don't get it. They're just there for the celebrity. That's not what Jesus is about. So he calls his disciples and we see that those who are called and sent out by God, they get it. And then we see that those who get it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's because you have a family connection or because you have a religious connection. You could be related to godly people. You could have been in church buildings your whole life. It doesn't make you get it. Who are the ones who get it? It's those who acknowledge his authority as God and Lord of the world. And then those who obey him. So acknowledge and obey. He says, who are, my brother, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Hi. Love you. Go to mommy. Mommy. Go. Mommy. Go. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. Whoever does the will of God. Man. So do you get it? It's a question we all have to ask. Do we get it? If we say we get it, if we say we are Christians, if we say we love Jesus... Does our life reflect that? Because you can talk talk, but unless your life is one that acknowledges the authority that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, 
and you follow him in obedience, then you're not a Christian. You don't get it. I'm not talking about struggling. Every now and then we go through seasons of life. I remember a season in my life that was, uh, at one point it was 13 months uh, in a relationship where there was sin, and it took me a long time to repent of that. I was still walking with the Lord. I was actually still teaching at a youth group at that point, uh, teaching Bible studies. So we can struggle. I also remember a time in my ministry life and career that I got really frustrated with some of my coworkers, and for six months I showed up late to work, I left early for work, I had a terrible attitude, I had bitterness in my heart. So that was a long time of, of staying in my sin, but, but I repented. And that's the important thing right here, church, is, is when I say, do you get it? Do we get it? Do we live a life that acknowledges Jesus Christ as God, Lord of the world and the universe? And then from that acknowledgement, do we live a life of obedience to his commands? If the answer is yes, then we, we celebrate. We get it. Jesus has passed his, he's called us, and he sent us out to be the light of the world in a dark place. But maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you would say, I don't get it. Or up until this point in my life, I haven't got it. Jesus literally says, whoever does the will of my Father is my mother and sister and brothers. So the choice is yours tonight. Jesus has made it possible. Jesus has literally come for you. He's died for you. He's resurrected for you. He's in heaven calling to you. Come follow me. So I ask you tonight, is tonight the night that you'll get it? It's tonight the night that you'll say, I want to do the will of God. And I know I can't do it on my own. The strong man, Satan, has got me in my grips. I need Jesus to set me free. And then I will follow him all the days of my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask Ashley to come up and as we get ready to sing. If that's you, I want you to commit your life to Christ tonight. I'm not God, I can't save you, but if God has opened your heart to where you realize you've sinned and you want to repent and you want to follow Jesus, God is calling to you saying, come and follow me. And so if that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to pray. All I'm going to do is, is we say prayer, but I'm going to ask you to talk to God. I'm going to ask you to say to God what you need to say and say, God, I get it now. You gave everything so that I could know you. So I'm going to ask you to talk to God tonight and get right with him. And I'm going to ask you to repent of your sin and to begin doing the will of God. So if that's you tonight, I'm going to pray and I want you to pray to yourself or under your breath and repeat after me. Let's pray. God, I get it. Tonight I realized that I've sinned against you. I realize only you can forgive my sins. 
forget that I can't conquer sin myself. I get that you bound Satan for me. And now, God, I ask that I get forgiveness. that I get your Holy Spirit. I want to do the will of the Father. I want to love you. I want to obey you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me for conquering death. I give you my life, God. I am yours. I will do your will. Now, if you prayed that prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, there was a connect card in your chair with a pen. If you'd write your name on that and check that top box that says you decided to follow Jesus today. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to talk to you about being baptized and following Jesus in baptism. And we want to help you begin to learn how to follow Jesus all your days and do the will of God. You can open your eyes now. Church, I want to encourage you. We're going to pray again, but I wanted to talk to you. Church, if you've been called sent. Everyone that God has, Christ has called to himself, he sends us out to do the will of the Father. And so I'm going to ask that God would just help us to be obedient to him and that we keep baptizing small groups. And that we keep seeing marriages strengthened. That we keep seeing Husbands lead their wives and their children. That we'd see wives love their husbands and their children. That we'd see the single moms and the single dads watch grace invade their lives and see God do amazing things. That we'd see our, our young people or our single adults and our, and our children faithfully pursue Jesus. That we'd see our children saved. I'm going to pray that God would do that. So pray with me, church. God, you just heard the desires of our heart. Keep letting the power of the good news wreck our lives. Keep letting the power of the good news wreck bar none in the Casper area. Keep letting the power of the good news sweep across the state. Keep letting the power of the good news plant more churches in this area. God, we lift up the 65 communities in our state that do not have a gospel preaching church. And God, we ask that you would use us, little tiny outfitter church in the middle of nowhere with just a few people, that you would use us to plant churches in some of those places. 
Jesus, I ask that you would that you would mobilize this army of your children and of your followers and of your disciples all across our state. God, that we would lead our friends, our neighbors, our bosses, our co-workers, our children to Jesus. That God, by our lives and Lord, by our words, that we would see them repent of their sins and follow you. God, I pray that you would help us to know your word, to live by it. That you would help us to love one another and to care for one another. We ask that you would keep providing for us like you've done so graciously. For all we want to do, God, is acknowledge your authority and do the will of the Father. by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, we see the beautiful Trinity. We're seeking after God the Father as we follow God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. We need you, God. We want to follow you. We want to do your will. Help us. In Jesus' name.